What's up, you rebel-minded freaks? This is where we question everything and provoke the normality of the world, all in an effort to face ourselves and become better humans. That's what it takes to be rebel-minded. You in? Let's do this. What's up, ladies and gents? Before we get this started, I know that I don't interview a lot of people, but the people that I do interview are people that I'm interacting with or that I think are a very positive influence. And the guy that I interviewed today, the reason that I interviewed him was because his type of masculinity, his personality stands so far out from the typical stereotype of what man is. And at the same time is one of the strongest, most solid people that I've ever met. He's very kind. He handles things very softly, but he's very structured and he knows how to follow through and he knows how to be strong for himself and for other people. And so what I want people to take notice of here is his version of masculinity and taking that and using it to understand and allow the version of yours to be just as strong as his, to know that uniqueness in masculinity is the most real version of you. And it goes beyond being tough and being a lone wolf and being able to handle everything on your own and to be able to do without support and adhering to the term of man up. So I want people to take recognition of the type of man that he is because he is also very balanced. And I know we've been talking about that a lot. And... I think it's interesting that the story that he has and the things that he went through created the man that he is today. Because no matter our trauma, we can all come out very, very different. So it comes down to the way that we want to live in the world, the way that we see ourselves in the world, and the way that we want to interact with it. So without further ado, here he is. Let's do this. Welcome back, guys, to the Rebel Minor Podcast. I am your host, Zach Henson, and I am bringing to you uh, one of my favorite people um, that I know in person. And as you all know, we are here to provoke the, the mind of man and to work on emotional intelligence and perspective. And as the coach that I am, as the ukulele player that I am, as the powerlifter that I am, I like to bring on as much diversity as I can. And from what you know, in me, I think you're actually going to see a lot in this other guy. And this other guy, his name is Steve Latz. And I've known about him personally, like we've been friends for a few years now, but I really didn't actually understand or I didn't know much about his story until just recently. And, I so, and so I figured the best thing to do was to get that information out there for you guys and give you a little bit of perspective and know that um, we're all really human. And, you know, I think that's what brings in a lot of support and that brings in a lot of relativity and gives people a lot of chance to know that they can be in control of their lives and they can get out of their traumas um, just like anybody else can. So Steve is a native to Idaho. Um, he's um, gone through a lot of tragedy, um, especially at a young age and battling addiction and mental health. And at some point in his life, which we'll talk about, he decided to change everything and walk a more difficult path uh, of sobriety and self-reflection. Now, Steve 
um, has come from working in the tech industry with a lot of Fortune 500 and corporate companies. Um, he's shifted into small business healthcare industry, specifically uh, substance abuse and mental health and the mental health field. And he's actually a former vice president of operations. Um, they built a company that started with around 35 employees with uh, one facility and a single office to six facilities across two states and a corporate office and 200 employees. So he's, he's really helped um, build that company up. Now he's currently working in the same industry with facilities that are looking to grow their current reach. And I don't doubt in any way that <laughs> Steve won't be a huge part of that. So um, I would like to introduce Steve Latz to the podcast. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I said it all. So, I mean, is there anything else that you really want to add to that that I might have missed? Uh, man, not, I mean, not really. I mean, I guess we'll kind of get into some of, uh, of it, but, you know, for professionally, that's, you know, that's kind of been, uh, kind of been in a nutshell for, for the last 15, 20, 20 some odd years. So, um, yeah, personally, you know, native Idaho, love it here. Uh, family, um, wife, dogs, you know, the whole nine yards, the Idaho dream. <laughs> the, the Idaho dream. And, you know, the one that everybody's just, like yells at like stay away like this is a uh, this is ours right <laughs> yeah. that's idaho that's idaho um but yeah man like you're it, it's so cool to actually know you closer than some of the other guests that i've had because i can see you know your wife and your kids quote unquote your your four-legged friends there uh <laughs> they're 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 so great and it actually shows it shows who you are really you know, and I think that you have such a, you have such a big footprint on the world. Um, and at least around me, you know, you, you walk into the gym with this vibe and I can't help but smile and I want to hug you. And, uh, I think we honestly need a lot more of that in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so one of the first things I, I did ask you was, um, what is it that you think your place is in the world? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you, you, know, you, you know, yeah. I mean, current place in the world, it's so hard to, to think of that because it's been an evolution. Mm -hmm. It truly has been evolution. And I, you know, for me, it's like, um, it, it's come to the point where my place in the world is really, um, I feel it's, it's helping others. Um, you know, I've gone through a path that, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's not the, the hardest path in the world. Um, but there, I've been through, through some stuff and, mm -hmm. uh, if I can, you know, give a, you know, a hug or give some inspiration or give some direction or give my experience about what's going on, you know, I'm, I, uh, and maybe this will kind of tell you some of my experience, um, and kind of walking through my story a little bit. I'm. I try not to put myself out there. Kind of like what you said, I, I don't, I don't put myself out there and advertise um, what I've been through. Um, and, and I guess there's reasons for that from my experience. You know, I, I have never been one to um, really uh, gather information from somebody that just wants to just keep punching it in my face, you know? Mm -hmm. And so um, ultimately, you know, being humble is a, is a principle I live by. Um, and, and, you know, even though it's so hard with, uh, with being around, you know, so many amazing athletes in the gym and egos come out and all those things with lifting and all that, all that stuff, it's conflicting, 
but I believe being humble uh, is, is gotta be the core of who I am because if I'm not humble, I don't have, I'm not grounded and I'm not, I don't know where I'm at in this world. Mm-hmm. So being humble is truly, you know, kind of where I, uh, I've always tried to stay within. So. So do you think that kind of, um, kind of like what you're saying before it, it encompasses and, and, and amplifies who you are, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I agree. See, and this is the part that I think is crazy, crazy important it, that I found out in like probably the most amount in the last year is the amount of diversity that we actually need. And it's just not the same for anybody. It's just not the same. Like the way that we speak our truth um, and the way that we live our lives, you know, there's definitely guys out there that are super loud, but it doesn't mean they're fake either. You know, it's just, they're part of the world. Right. And so I think maybe that's why I was so shocked (laughs) by your backstory because I was like, he's got so much color. He's got so much color. I want to, I want to see this. Um, but you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you decided to do this with me because hopefully you see it the same as I do as some sort of superpower, you know, or some sort of, uh, inspiration to help other people kind of feel okay about the position and not feel so pressured by, uh, the, the single minded thinking of the world. Right. Yeah. Right? Um, so before we get too carried away, I want to, I want to allow Steve a space to tell us his backstory because I want you guys to understand exactly where he's coming from and why he probably, why he is humble and why he does have so much, uh, desire to help people in, um, that have abuse and addiction. So Steve, why don't you fill everybody in a little bit? <clears throat> okay. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Here we go. <laughs> Well, you know, and I'll, and I'll try to keep this, um, I'll try to keep the, uh, the, the cliff notes of this going. Um, because I mean, there's so many, so many stories and so many things that, uh, that encompass this, you know, really start off. Um, you know, I had gone through, um, a couple deaths before, you know, 10, 11 years old, grandparents, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, really I came from a, um, a great family. Uh, grew up, uh, with a mom, dad, I have an older sister, um, my whole family, uh, religious, um, very religious, went to church, went to Sunday school, went to all those things. Um, we, you know, it was kind of the, the perfect family, I guess, in a sense, you know, my mom was a stay at home mom. Uh, my dad was a nuclear engineer. Um, he was, you know, smart. He was very on top of a lot of things. Um, and you know, I was involved in sports uh, all those, all those things. And, um, you know, a natural confrontation between my dad and I, uh, you know, I remember at, uh, age 12 or so in school and I got my first B in math or something like that. And my dad, it was so not okay. You know, cause <laughs> oh, that's, that's his background, you know, is, is engineering and math yeah. and everything else. And so I'm like, it's a B, it was a B or like a C plus or something like that. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I didn't think it was a big deal, but there was a big confrontation between my dad and me and, um, and, you know, it blew up and everything else. And, and my dad and I, from that point on is just kind of, kind of butting heads, you know, um, you know, shortly after that, um, you know, uh, at age 13, uh, July of, uh, of when I was 13, um, my parents were going to, um, so my, my parents and, um, my mom, my dad, 
my uncle, my aunts, my grandma, and great, my grandpa, and my mom's side of the family, um, they all go into a, um, a ranch up by Salmon, Idaho. And uh, my dad's uh, grand, my my dad's parents had come down, or grandma had come in and, and stayed with my sister and me for while they're on their vacation and everything. Um, and you know, getting right down to brass tacks, I was uh, going outside and um, you know mowing my next door neighbor's lawn, and then all of a sudden I had this you know this feeling, this this something you know, okay, let's stop mid mow, let's go home, and I get into the house taking my shoes off. And the phone rings and my grandma answers the phone and she starts kind of freaking out. So she goes, drops the phone. I come walking in there. I pick it up. It's my mom on the other phone. Uh, and she tells me at that time that uh, my dad, my grandpa, my grandma, my uncle uh, had all died in a plane crash. Um, and um, that was, you know, it was kind of the, the spark that lit everything up. Um, so at one time, you know, I'm sitting there, it's my grandma's at the house, my family's all intact, you know, we're a good, uh, you know, Christian family, everything's going good. Uh, and, and in a blink of an eye, you know, my life is kind of thrown in a blender and, you know, hit on frappe a couple, a uh, couple times, yeah. you know, and that, there goes everything, you know, um, my mom was a stay at home mom. Um, you know, I was 13, my sister was 16, about to turn 17, about to go off to college soon. Um, you know, and my whole life changed. Um, and, uh, you know, at that time being 13 years old, uh, I remember going to all the funerals and, um, you know, at that point kind of feeling always, uh, something different than anybody else. Um, and, you know, you walk into a room and you have that feeling and people, you know, you feel like, you know, people are looking at you or, um, you have that uh, feeling that uh, people know something or whatever, um, you know, and so I'd go to the funerals and I don't know how many times I can count. I can't even count, uh, you know, my hands, all the people have said, well, you know, you're, you're the dad now, you're, you're the man of the house. And so 13 years old, you need to take care of your, your mom and your sister and, and everything else, you know, and, um, and that's not what I signed up for. And that's not mm -hmm. what I wanted to hear, you know, and then, and sitting there and watching people say that. Um, and do that, you know, and I, I remember, I mean, it was, uh, I would, I, once I heard those things come out of my mom's, uh, voice on the phone, um, I, it went into a haze, you know, I truly did. Um, it all just seems kind of like you know, really a dream, a kind of a nightmare, but it was a haze. Um, you know, and I, I feel like, so the, the plane crashed and everything lit on fire and they had to uh, identify everybody because of with their, their teeth. Mm -hmm. um, so my dad was six foot, decent sized guy. And um, uh, my sister was having a hard time at his funeral. Um, and before the funeral happened, um, they didn't recommend this, but they opened the casket for us. And there was a black bag in there with a couple lumps in there that uh, was my six foot, uh, six foot father that's, you know, 180, 200 pounds, it was all of a sudden a couple, couple lumps in this black bag, mm -hmm. you know, um, things like that, that a 13 year old is going through that, um, uh, seeing these things, hearing these things, um, you know, I don't wish that upon anybody. I mean, that was, yeah. um, that was crazy. That was crazy. Not knowing and understanding everything's happening and having this whole religious background, you know, it was, why would, you know, whoever, 
let this happen? I mean, why is this, why is this a good thing? My dad was a good person. My grandparents were good people. My uncle was a good person, all these things. And this just happened. Um, and from that point on, you know, we had to pick up and move from that house because we, it was a big house. We didn't need it with three of us now. Uh, I had to go to a new school. I, you know, went into that school and the first day the psychiatrist pulled me out and, you know, and talked to me. I had to go into the classrooms and teachers would be like, you know, pull me aside with everybody there. They'd come up and talk to me. I'm like, dude, don't talk to me. I don't want to be different from anybody else. I want to be part of the same. I want to be who I was and who I am. Don't treat me different. Um, so it was almost like they, so was it kind of, did it feel like just because they cared more, it actually feel like you felt like you were being exiled kind of in a way? In a sense. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it was, it was my own mind or if it was what they're doing, cause they had full good intention of what they're doing, but I interpreting it was completely different. You know, their, their full intention was to try to help me. Um, mm -hmm. But how I took it was not about them helping me. I mean, it was, it was completely skewed. And that was my, and that was my thinking, you know, that was my stuff that was going on. Um, and, and, you know, and that's, that, that was kind of the start of it. With, with everything that was going on, it was so painful walking through all that, you know, I started using, you know, I picked up and I started drinking, I started smoking pot, uh, started doing meth. Uh, I mean, the day I smoked my first joint, I was doing lines of, uh, of meth and, you know, it, uh, yeah, there was no wow. starting point and there was no entry drug or anything else. I mean, it started and I was going full bore. And so 13 years old, I am strung out on meth. I am smoking. I am drinking. I am, I mean, anything I can get my hands on, I'm doing, I mean, I, that's just how I was, <clears throat> you know, at school, I know I, uh, you know, it, it was one of those things where I found out that if I took and I used, it would help numb that feeling that I didn't know that the cloud that I was walking around in that pain, that anger that I was feeling, um, you know, I was super angry, uh, especially in school. Um, you know, I, be I became super angry. Um, I would pick fights. I would, um, you know, I, <laughs> I kind of, I got in much trouble, you know, I, uh, did things with, um, you know, destroying bathrooms. I would get into fights. I would bring knives to, to school. I would be in, I mean, the amount of things that I got involved with so quickly, um, was, is mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I would, I would do anything I could to kind of kill that feeling in, in my stomach, in my chest, you know, that when that was so overwhelming, if I could deter and give pain to myself in some way, I would sit there and punch a brick wall and break my knuckles and cut up my knuckles. So I didn't feel the pain inside here just so I could feel pain somewhere else. Um, you know, at 14, I became suicidal. I mean, I, I uh, had a 357 Magnum that I had in my mouth many times um, and tasting that, uh, you know, tasting that, uh, that metal. Um, I mean, it was, uh, it was close. Um, you know, and it was all because I wanted to kill the pain and I used, and when I picked up and I used and I drank and I did meth and I, everything that I did was solely for the purpose of trying to kill it, you know, kill myself, kill the feeling, killing anything I could it was all about me just trying to kill all that stuff then inside there. <clears throat> I would go to a, a rave or a dance or anything and I would drink two fifths and I would just, you know, anything I could do to obliterate myself. So I didn't have to feel, uh, 14 years old and Halloween, I sat down and drank two cases of beer by myself. 
<clears throat> I mean, there, there's some stuff that I just, I put myself to the edge just so I didn't have to feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that got me around certain people, uh, certain situations. Um, and it was bad. It was, it was truly bad. You know, my sister moved off to college. Um, you know, my mom tried to remarry. She remarried, tried to get like a father figure for me. Um, that didn't go very well. Uh, <clears throat> that was a, a next Navy SEAL. Um, and him wow. and I didn't, we bumped heads. And um, that didn't work out very well. Um, you know, it was just one thing after another, after another. Um, and that was short lived for my mom. I mean, I, my mom was trying to deal with everything the best she could. She had two kids that all of a sudden were her sole responsibility. Um, her, her lover and her husband uh, all of a sudden had died and her mom and dad died. Um, I mean, I can't even think of that situation when my mom was in. Um, but she did the best that she could. And I, you know, she remarried, she tried to do anything she could to, uh, to, to get some kind of solutions in there. Uh, I don't remember how many shrinks and how many counselors she brought me to. And, you know, I just didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to open up to anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody would understand what truly I'm going through is what I felt, you know, it's what I, my thinking was, um, it's like, you don't know, you truly don't know. So why would I even waste my time on you? You're just going to tell me that I'm messed up. I don't want to tell you what, you know, that I'm doing drugs. I don't want to do, you know, all these things. <clears throat> and, uh, yeah. So finally get to, you know, 16, 17 years old. And all of a sudden I come home one night and, um, my mom had had the, uh, the locks changed. So I, uh, I became homeless at, um, 16, 17 years old. Um, and, um, you know, in the place where I lived in, uh, in Eastern Idaho, I mean, at that time it was cold and, um, using and being homeless and, you know, as I was, as it was already, you know, she couldn't control me. Uh, and so I was doing anything I wanted to do. Uh, but sleeping out of a car when it's 20 below, um, when there's four feet of snow out there, um, in the small town that I was in, uh, I burned a lot of bridges and I burned a lot of people. And, you know, I, I did some pretty, uh, pretty horrendous things to, uh, to keep myself high and to try to kill that stuff over and over again. Um, you know, that's, uh, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing. The, the depths and the, uh, uh, the things that, uh, addicts and people that are in active, uh, addiction will go to, to make sure they stay numb. You know, it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's really amazing. Um, but you know, it's 18 years old, a little bit after my birthday, um, a couple, about a week and a half after my birthday, uh, all of a sudden I got busted. I'm sitting in a park and all of a sudden these little bike cops come rolling up and, uh, and you know, there, there it is. I, uh, I got busted. And, um, that was the first time that I'm like, Oh, maybe I'm not doing so good. <laughs> maybe what I'm doing right now is as they're going through everything and pulling everything that I own, cause I, all my clothes were in, uh, black plastic bags. Um, and that's where all my clothes were. Everything that I owned was in a car and in the middle of the park, they were going through and pulling everything I owned out of this car and putting it on the floor and holding it up in front of me while I'm in back of the cop car. So they show me everything that I'm, I'm seeing mm-hmm. and they show me what they're going through and seeing my whole life is in these bags that they're going through. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, that was, um, 
that was very, very humbling, very humbling to, uh, to see that go through. Um, you know, I reached out to, to my mom who I haven't talked to for quite a while and said, you know, um, I need help. I don't know what to do. Um, you know, I hadn't uh, seen her for a while. Um, my great grandma had been in town and every, every once in a while I'd go to see her and get a meal, you know, eat once a week. Um, she would feed me, do some things like that, but, uh, haven't reached out and talked to my mom for quite some time. Uh, so I decided, you know, this is the no better time than now. I don't know what to do. Um, she said, well, if, uh, if you're ready, let's, let's get you to treatment. And I'm like, well, first off, that went through my head was, well, this will probably look good in front of a judge when I have to go in and say hi. <laughs> Smart I'm move. In, All right. So I'm like, okay. So uh, are you paying for me to go to treatment? She's like, yes, I'll pay for you to go to treatment. I'm like, okay, let's go. And so we, they couldn't get me in uh, for about three days. So we went from uh, there in Idaho Falls. We drove to Boise and I started kicking dope in a uh, motel down that used to be on, uh, uh, in, on the BSU campus that's no longer there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a little motel there and I started kicking dope there for about a day, day and a half uh, before we could get me into to treatment. Um, I got into treatment. I was, uh, shy of one month after my 18th birthday. Um, and I got in there and by far was the youngest person in there. Um, you know, everybody there was an old dope fiend, an old alcoholic, you know, all those different things. Um, and once again, I'm walking into a situation where I felt completely different from anybody else there. Yeah. It's like you a know, replay. Oh, completely, completely. You know, I'm like, I, I'm willing to do something. I walk into these rooms and all of a sudden I'm looking, people are looking at me and I'm in these, these group sessions and these old timers are telling me that, uh, uh, that they spilled more dope than I ever did. Um, you know, they, they spilled more beer than I ever drank. Um, and the first thoughts going through my mind, I'm like, why would you spill your dope? I mean, that's, I'd be doing the dope instead of spilling it. And those are the things that go through my mind. I'm like, man, you're dumb. But you know, <laughs> for them, it was, it was them thinking that I'm too young to be an addict. And I was yeah, told that yeah. like, you know, you're too young. You shouldn't be in here. You're too young to be an addict. You're not, you're not, you're not, you know, you, you don't do this. And I'm like, okay, so where, what am I? What am I supposed to be doing? Where is this, you know? So, um, so but, in, in a way they can't even validate the fact that you're, in there with a bad position they can't uh-huh. even add dude yeah unaccepted oh, yeah. I mean, everywhere yeah completely i mean every everywhere i went to everywhere, everything i went to it felt like i was always the odd man out i was always somebody i was never to me it felt like i was never good enough yeah i was never good enough i was never good enough to have a intact family i was not good enough to have uh an education that you know that everybody did their went to high school, went to college and all those things. I was in treatment while everybody from my high school is graduating. Mm-hmm. I was sleeping on a bed, dope sick, while people were going through the graduation and um, graduating from high school. Um, I was sharing room with two other guys that were dope sick while they were doing that. Um, I was being told once again, you know, uh, I, I'm not good enough to be here. I wasn't, didn't do enough or I, you know, whatever it was, I didn't qualify. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was always some kind of stipulation everywhere I went to, there was some kind of stipulation. Um, I wasn't good enough to, to kill myself. I mean, that was one of the thoughts that went through my mind. You know, I was, I, I did everything so poorly. I couldn't even kill myself. Right. Um, as part of that, you know, that suicidal thought that's wanting to just kill the, the feeling 
the thoughts, all those things that went through my head when I was using, you know, that I wasn't even good enough to even do that. Um, you know, and that, that was the place that you're in when you're going into treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, it was a 21 day treatment center. So I'm in there, I'm detoxing, I'm going to group, I'm doing all these things. Um, and you know, they, uh, they, they said it wasn't progressing good enough. So instead of 21 days, they asked me to stay for another seven days because they, they think that I needed it. <laughs> so I'm like, well, once again, I'm failing at some, uh, something else this yeah. treatment thing. And so here, I'll stay for another week. Sure. Okay. Let's just do this. So, um, you know, I, and I, in, in, in doing this treatment and finding this stuff, you know, they, uh, introduced me to 12 step meetings, 12 step fellowships. Um, that was one, probably one of the first times that when I started going to 12 step meetings, I started hearing the same thing, people that, uh, that my thoughts were, I was going through my head, um, things that I was thinking. It was the first time I actually started connecting with people. Um, oh, you know, and that was where I started hearing things about like principles, uh, and about, um, you know, the, the doing the right thing for the right reasons and all these different sayings that were on there, man. I, that's the first time I started hearing these things and having some kind of uh, glimmer of hope that I could possibly do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, when I got out of treatment, I came back home, um, you know, 18 years old, I'm working, I have an apartment, um, you know, going to, to meetings. I'm, you know, I'm on probation, uh, have got the, uh, uh, the anklet on there. So yeah. uh, I'm on home arrest and everything back in the day, man, that was 20 some odd years ago. And that you, uh, you kick it wrong while you're sleeping and either you get somebody to knock on your door half an hour later, or you get a phone call coming in, <laughs> making sure you're still in your place. Don't uh, touch it. <laughs> nobody move. <laughs> no, nobody move. This anklet thing, man, it was temperamental. Oh man. <laughs> Dude, and sucks. of course you had to pay for it too. You had to pay yeah. for being on the, I mean, it was, it, you know, it was what it was, you know, yeah. I, I, I'm lucky. I didn't go to prison. I didn't go to jail. Um, I had probation. I had, you know, stuff I had to do. I had to, to reconcile all the, the things that I did. Um, and this is the beginning part of it, you know? Um, but I do have to say, you know, I, I walked into treatment on, uh, on June 1st of 1996. And for some reason, um, there was enough hope that I got out of that area and what's going through that I have never picked up a drink or a drug since, since then. then. Yeah. So that's, um, that was six, one of 96. So I've, I just celebrated 24 years. Um, Dude, just congratulations, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Dude, well done. <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, 18 years old getting clean and, you know, going back home. I mean, there was, there's really nobody was my age around there. Yeah. I mean, everybody is older than me that was getting clean. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody that was in high school or anybody that I knew, you know, the people that I knew I didn't need to be around. I mean, that was bad news for those guys to be around. Um, and everybody I went to school with, man, I wasn't, I wasn't ass. I was such a jerk to so many people at, uh, at school. I don't want to see anybody that I went to school with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was just, I had so much wreckage that I did there. Um, you know, so I, I made a move from there to, to Boise and kind of started afresh. And, um, you know, that's, uh, that was probably one of the big changing points for me is making that decision, you know, making that mm-hmm. decision to uh, do something for myself and put myself in a different situation, try to get better. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was in 98, October 98. And I've been here ever since in the Boise area. 
So, um, you know, and like we've talked about and a lot of stuff you talk about is, you know, uh, I grew up basically from 13 years old on with no role models, no dad, no grandpa, grandma, uh, no uncles. Um, mm -hmm. You know, um, the, the people that I hung around with, you know, when I'm 16 years old, I was hanging out with 24 and 26 year olds that had just got out of prison. And those were, um, those were my best friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, people that were, you know, I was, <laughs> it, you know, I was uh, what a sophomore in high school and I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, but I've always had a beard, you know, 14 years old, I had a, I had a mustache. I lucky you, man. Lucky you. You know, all those <laughs> things. You know, I, I'd go down to the store, the corner store, and I'd be buying cigarettes at 14 years old. Jesus. And, um, you know, so I would go to, in part of PE in high school, I would go to uh, we would go to uh, the bowling alley. Well, I was not going to school a lot of the times. And so I was sitting there drinking a pitcher of beer in the bowling alley while my school was coming in uh, to go bowling. And so I had to jump out the back door wow. and get out of there because the teacher and all the rest of the students were there. You know, I mean, that's, that's just, that was normal, normal stuff that just happened day in and day out. Dude. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, my, I did some pretty uh, insane things between, you know, the amount of amount of meth that I did, uh, the, I mean, the things that, things that, the, that went on. I and mean, it's just, um, you know, I'm lucky to be a healthy person, mm -hmm. <laughs> physically healthy enough person because I, I shouldn't be, you know? Yeah. Um, so all my role models and everybody that I looked up to, I mean, I, I had to start from scratch. I mean, I, I didn't know what a role model was, you know, you I didn't know. seek them out, right? Oh, completely. I mean, it was, yeah. it was one of those things when I was using, I, I found out though, that when I was using, I had to align myself and get myself around people that were good at what they were doing. A getting high, had good connections, uh, had places to do it, you know, all these different things. I had to align myself with people that had these things so mm -hmm. I could use to the best of my ability. Mm -hmm. And I also found that when I stopped using that I needed to align myself and find those people that were not using and were finding ways to, you know, do things and live life without having to uh, pick up. And, you know, I had to hang out with those people that were doing it successfully. And so mm -hmm. those were my first like mentors. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, I had mentors when I was using and I was screwing her up and I was out and about and I had, you know, and I started having mentors when I was getting out of it. And even though before I even knew that, I mean, I had mentors in both worlds. It was, uh, it's very interesting. But those are the first people that I started looking up to going, I don't know how to do this. You know, I've never gone grocery shopping. 18 years old, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I had an anxiety attack going into a grocery store to go pick <laughs> up a bag of frozen burritos and some ketchup and whatever, you know, to just go and do this. Because that's what normal people do, I guess, you know. Yeah. And 18 You're years not old. for that. Right. I'm not, I'm right. I was not taught to do this. <laughs> you know, I, I was taught to carry a gun, to have a knife with me and to intimidate anybody and everybody I could. I mean, that was, that was a, that was a tool of mine. Yeah. Um, to, but to, to go in and pick out something and pay for something and to buy something in a grocery store, I went across town to the other grocery store where I didn't hang out. So I didn't mm -hmm. see anybody that I knew, you know, it was humbling. It was very, yeah. very humbling to accept that what I was doing was not successful, mm -hmm. was detrimental to me and to people around me. Um, and I needed to change. It wasn't anybody else. Um, I found out very quickly that 
It's not my mom. It's not the situations. It's not any of those people. It was all me that needed to change. Um, and that was it. See, the, the, the crazy part is because I have a little bit of relatability, you know, because um, I didn't have the father figure uh, then, but it, it was it was in a condition that uh, maybe wasn't as, as quite as severe, you know, and I think that that's I think that's one thing that a lot of guys have to understand uh, is that the father figure isn't there to to necessarily be a hard ass on you or to, you know, um, t- tell you the ways to be a man. But he he is there to almost give you some sort of structure and give you direction. And I think that we have like this connection to the same sex parent that shows us, hey, this is this is how the way we work. You know, this mm-hmm. is this is how we've this is how we've gotten by. This is how we, you know, and someone to actually amplify who you are as a person and then if that's completely taken away from you especially in a position where you're 13 you're just now getting full of hormones you're you're hitting puberty and you know you don't have not only do you not have that role model but your brain hasn't even processed in the way and your 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 world isn't big enough to actually have any idea of how to how to be that guy how to how to you know flirt with girls or how to be you know how to be disciplined or you know how to have a part-time job or any of that like all of that opportunity was just taken away from you and i think a lot of guys get you know carried away with the idea of like well my dad was there to to bust my ass and keep me in line well it, it goes a lot deeper than that i think you know and and in a way it seems like um because you had things taken away in a way that was completely unfair, then you, you took on some sort of assumption that you weren't good enough to have anything. Like, I mean, did you, um, was there like, like any, cause you had, you said you had moved, right? Or no, you were yeah, still in well, Eastern Idaho. Yep. I was still in Eastern Idaho. Yeah. So, yeah. but, but, um, when you went back to school, I mean, was, was the only interaction, like, how did, how did the the other kids approach you? And, and, you know, how did, how did that interaction go? Like, what do you think was the big separation there? Or do you think that you were the biggest cause of the separation? Oh, I was definitely the biggest cause of separation. I, you know, I'd I'd walk into, I'd walk into the rooms, I'd walk into, you know, school or anything else. And man, I'm, I'm, I was angry. I was purely angry. So I woke up, you know, so here's, if you're, if you're somewhat religious or anything else, um, um, or spiritual or whatever it is. So I kind of told you about, you know, that, uh, that, you know, that the interaction with, uh, my, my math, not getting, um, uh, an A in math. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember the time of about a month before, um, the accident happened and my dad and I had another disagreement. And I remember, um, going to my bed and laying there and saying, I hate my dad. I hate my dad. I hate my dad. I wish he died. I wish he died. I wish he died. I hate my dad. I hate my dad. And a month later, my dad died. Um, and from that point on, it didn't feel like I was a bad person. It felt like I caused my dad's death, you know, in a, in a 12 year old, 13 year old brain that sat there and had just, it was a mantra I hate my dad. I hate my dad. I hate my dad. That started a a chain reaction that was like, I mean, it was an avalanche. Yeah. Um, And so every day I woke up from that point on, if I got any sleep, 
Um, and when I woke up, immediately the first thing that happened was that, that ache in my gut that I'm awake again, I'm alive, I have to go and do this. I dreaded every single day waking up and having to talk to anybody. And so going into school, um, going to any one of those things and having to interact with people, um, you know, was, I dreaded every single second of it. You know, I somewhat of a, a definitely an introvert and I observe a lot of people, I watch a lot of people and I don't like to be, you know, put on the spot. And, um, when I would be going into school, that's what happened. And so I, myself, if I put up that, uh, that barrier in front of me, and if I put up that, uh, that, that wall, um, you know, the only people I let in were the ones that, you know, that I wanted something from, you know, the drugs, the violence, the whatever, uh, everybody else, I had that wall up there and they knew it right when I walked in, people left me alone. Um, and I caused, I caused all of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I truly did. I walked in there and, and that's, that was my reaction. So that's, and that, and the great thing for me is at that time, I started realizing that observing that. And if I came across as very aggressive, or if I came across as whatever, I knew what I was going to get back from them. And that was that cause and effect. And so, so you knew that you would get the safe space that you really wanted. Mm hmm by being aggressive oh yeah yep Ooh. oh yeah oh yeah yeah and so i would put myself out there i mean the first day of high school i mean it, it didn't matter all the seniors all the football players or anybody else nobody nobody did anything mm -hmm. i mean i had i had a name i had a reputation um i mean nobody ever ever you know wanted to be aggressive with me at all and mm -hmm. so, I mean, it was, uh, it was known <laughs> and that's how I wanted it. That's exactly how I wanted it. You know, yeah. if I wanted something, I, that was my, my cause and my reaction. I knew exactly what I was going to get out of it. Mm -hmm. So have you, so, um, I'm, I'm going to dig a little bit here. So do you think, uh, um, looking back, you know, I, I think, you know, our history is, is meant to, for us to reflect and not, not to relive mm -hmm. obviously, because there's so much yep. pain there, but I think it's meant for reflection, like logical, like how, how did the, I process this? How, how did I make the change? Did you, do you think that there was something there that could have been done or, or do you think that there was something that you were, were asking for that would have helped your direction in a healthier path? Or do you think that that was kind of inevitable at that point? I mean, cause that was, I can't really say, man, cause that, that's a lot all at once. That's so much freaking trauma. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, mm -hmm. um, I, I would like to say that I was, uh, that I could have had a, uh, you know, some kind of a lifeline, uh, mm -hmm. given to me, but, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if it would have helped cause I mean, it was, you know, all, you know, my, my dad's friends and the, the families that we would go to their houses when our family was whole before the death, mm -hmm. you know, all those dads and the dads from the baseball teams that were my coaches and all those different people, they all, you know, they were there at the funeral and then they all, you know, poof, they were gone. Oh shit. You know? So it's like, you didn't even have a fucking chance for anybody to kind of step in and give you no. some sort of support. And they were, they were all scared. I mean, they, they all didn't yeah. know what to do. I mean, they all didn't yeah. know what to do. I mean, there's many times that they've called my mom and coaches and everything else. I mean, I, 
I'd get in fights with my freaking hockey coaches. I mean, I would, I would be throwing them up against the wall and, you know, it's, you know, there was a time when maybe there was an opportunity to put me under somebody's wing and to give me some guidance. But I mean, there was, I don't know, the the window was probably really short. I mean, cause I, I, I truly, once I started using, um, and once I started picking up meth and I mean, going down a path, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it was, it was very quick. Um, and I didn't want anything to do with anybody else. I wanted to get high every single day. Um, and I'd do anything I could to get high. Um, and I'd do anything I could to create violence, to create drama, uh, with everybody else. It was one of those things where I, I felt better when I caused pain to somebody else. Yeah. Now they felt a little bit about what I felt is what my thought was. Yeah. You know, I, but nobody's ever going to feel the way I feel, but I'm hurting right now. So I'm going to make somebody else hurt. So I don't feel alone. Dude. And that's, it, it's so, it, it, it's so, I'm going to say stereotypical. It's so, it's so normal of men to do that. <laughs> the more, the more that I see, the more I, you know, realize that the, that men in pain cause more pain you know, and, and the, the more hurt you are inside, the more, the more you hurt, hurt people on the outside. Um, and it, it almost seems like nobody was able to be strong enough for you to break against. You know, it, you didn't have any male to step in and like, let you throw some punches and just, you know, let you, let you break, you know? Yeah. No, but my mom so, was, I mean, she can do anything. I mean, I'd punch yeah. holes in the walls and she'd be like, Okay. I mean, there's nothing she could do. There's yeah. nothing that she could do. I mean, I, and I don't know how many times all those, you know, at being at home and freaking out were, you know, ultimately my, my cries for help yeah. in some yeah, yeah. form or another, but she couldn't provide that. I mean, she didn't yeah. know. Um, there was nobody there to provide that. And so, you know, those cries for help were, you know, when somebody's, somebody's willing and they're actually having a cry for help. It's a very short window traditionally that somebody's mm-hmm. willing to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so when that cry of help happens, there was nobody there to step in. So when nobody stepped in, I went to my next best thing, which was to go get high and just go to, out. and yep, just numb it out, go and kill that feeling, kill that, whatever. Um, you know, especially being isolating at nighttime. That was when the suicide was all, uh, more idealistic, um, you know, all of those things that would come up, you know, it was, it was all about the, the pain and, and trying to push that stuff out. You know, at nighttime, I would, you know, take screwdrivers and light them on fire and then stab them into my, my arm and put scars on there. So I just like, if I could feel pain here, I could try to transfer the pain for that I'm feeling in my gut and my, my chest and everything else to something mm-hmm. else. And so I'd, I'd take razor blades and cut my arm. I mean, I was a cutter for a while as a burner. I was, you know, I pierced my own ears. I mean, I, I mean, everything I could do. I mean, I was, it was, it was everything, you know, first tattoo was 17 years old, you know, anything I could do to, to cause physical pain, uh, to try to transfer that pain from feeling to physical pain. I felt like I was alive and I was like pushing that out and being able to deal with it that way. That was my only, my only mechanisms to, to actually have life working for me. Like your best, the best self therapy that you could, especially at thirteen. Like you don't know, you don't know, you know, psychologically the way everything's going. Like, mm-hmm. so, so the thing, one thing that I'm really curious about is how how strongly you were able to 
to switch because it seems like a lot of times and you know you're it's almost like you're uh you're the odd man out on the stereotype you know once an addict always an addict kind of thing right yep so um have you ever have you given some thought like what was it that that made it not easy i'm not not gonna say (laughs) i'm not gonna say your transition was easy but it was like the first time you step out and and you commit and you just you follow through man like where did that come from was was there people in that situation or was it like what made you realize that you were in such a bad spot and you needed the way out and you didn't go back you know, I don't, I don't know if there was ever like a, like a, uh, a determining time or yeah. event that happened. I think it was, it, it truly, it was truly bad enough that I knew that if I continued to use, I was mm-hmm. going to die. <clears throat> I mean, I was going to be, I was going to be buried or be killed or something within the next year to two years. I mean, that's, that's just where it was going to be. Yeah. Um, either by my own hands, by somebody else's hands, or I was finally going to overdose because I did as much dope as I could get my hands on and it mm-hmm. never killed me. <clears throat> but I think, you know, for me, it was getting into this recovery stuff and um, seeing other people, you know, have a couple of years and going, how, how did you not pick up for a couple of years mm-hmm. um, and start observing those people? Because I mean, I mean, that, that's my nature. You know, I sat in a corner um, in a 12-step meeting and watched everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't, I, I listened to what they said, but for me, it's not about what people say because mm-hmm. I knew growing up and being out there, you know, in, in the world that, you know, when I'm dealing with drug addicts and dealers and everybody else out there, talk is cheap. I mean, there's, anybody will say anything you want to so they can go and do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So, watching their their lips move i knew they were lying but Mm. watching what they did is telling me the truth so after they talked outside of you know the meeting itself if we hung out or if we were talking watching what people did told me who i wanted to not really get mentored by but start observing and start trying to pick apart what they were doing Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's what i did you know i started looking at people and going okay, let me figure out what this person is doing so I can be more successful at it than they are and mm-hmm. still do what I want to do. You know, because I always thought, you know, for the longest time that if I can find out what they're doing and I can do it better, then I can do it my own way. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I can I can figure things out. And so, you know, at, after doing that for quite some time, you know, I think it was to the point where it's just like, I truly believe that, I, I, I have to believe that there is a better life with not going back there and not picking up, not doing drugs, then there is going back and using. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it was just kind of, you know, one of those days or over time that I just kind of realized, okay, I think, and I have faith that this is something that's got to be better. Mm-hmm. It just has to be better than where it was before. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what this whole thing is. And it's super uncomfortable because it goes against everything of my being staying clean and trying to deal with feelings and trying to deal with, you know, <laughs> going to the grocery store or, you know, going and holding a job. And when somebody pisses you off, not taking by the throat and slamming up against the wall. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, you know, it was just, you had to have faith that there was something better out there. Um, and, you know, that was tough. That was really tough. 
Um, you know, so I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it was, um, it took, it took probably 18 months to two years of going back and forth, back and forth of this, is this, is this where I want to go? Is this not what I want to do? And I didn't use during that time, but it was, it was a daily thought every day, you know, is this what I want to do? Is this not what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when it was really tough too. Cause I mean, being 18, 19, 20 years old, everybody in that age group was in college was hanging out, going drinking. They were all at parties. I mean, I spent the majority of my first three, four years clean, you know, really quite alone. I mean, hands down. Um, because everybody everybody's out there age, doing stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I moved from Eastern Idaho to Boise and I didn't know anybody. And, you know, it truly was, you know, at nighttime or during the day or whenever in the first couple of years, it was truly going, I have to believe that this is better than what it was the other stuff I was doing. Mm-hmm. I have to believe that this path, that if I do this right, my life is going to be better. Mm-hmm. And, and that was my, it was not really a mantra, but it was something in the morning that I, I had to go through and make that decision every morning. Do I, what path do I go down today? You know, what do I do today? And at the end of the night I do, and I still do is an, an inventory, you know, how, how was it today? <laughs> you know, how did I act? How did, you know, how was today and how did I do? Um, is this something that I'm, you know, kind of comes down to is, you know, I, I started picking up principles within uh, the 12 step meetings and principles to live by. Um, and, um, you know, I, you know, at about 22, 23, 24, right around there. Um, no, 23, when I was 23, the 10 year anniversary uh, of my dad's, uh, my dad's accident, we, the, the ranch, we had actually reached out to the ranch and, um, they offered for us to come in and be there over the time the anniversary of the, uh, the accident. So my mom and my sister and my aunt and me <laughs> flew in a plane, just like the one that crashed into this, you know, into the, the ranch that was out there out by Salmon, Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a dirt runway that you land on, you take off from. And um, we land there and I'm what, three years, four years, five years clean, 18, you know, it's about 20, about five years clean. Um, and we land there and we stay there. We get on the horses, we go across and they still got to cross there. They still have pictures of when the accident happened. They still have people that are working there 10 years later, uh, that, uh, remember it and that were there. Um, and that right there was probably one of the life changing events that went, man, I mean, people still remember. I mean, this yeah. was a big deal to some other people besides me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it affected more people than just me. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, going through that uh, opportunity to see that and to do that, man, I don't, oh, man, I was sweating so hard in that airplane. I Dude, mean, I, I, that I was nerve wracking. Oh my God. Yeah. I had to be in the front because everybody else was not okay with being in the front and they all wanted to be in the back of the plane. And so I'm up front. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I've flown a, a bunch uh, since uh, since the accident happened. Uh, professionally, I've had to fly a bunch for for work and everything else. And still to this day, um, I I pretty much get right with myself before I walk on an airplane, thinking that you know if this is going to be it, this is going to be it. Every single time I get on an airplane, no matter what. I mean, it's been years and years and years now, but 
that is still a thought. I mean, what happened to me when I was 13 years old, 30 years later, you know, is still something that is ever present in my life. Mm -hmm. And that trauma is, you know, it has been there and it's just part of who I am. Mm -hmm. it, It truly is. And so every time I get on an airplane, I have some kind of a thought and I have some kind of acceptance every time I walk onto an airplane. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> Dude, I, but how, how could it not be, you know, how, how could you go through something like that and not have some sort of re- action, you know, that happens in your mind and your body psychologically and physically that changes you every time you get close to it, a plane, dude. I, I mean, mm-hmm. it, I guess it's something you just kind of had to learn to accept and, and be okay with, I guess. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's the key word right there is accept. You know, mm-hmm. it, was, it was one of those things where, you know, for me, it's <clears throat> really dissecting situations, people, places, things, what can I control and what can I not control? Mm-hmm. You know, the things that I can't control or, you know, everybody else. The only thing that I can control is myself and how I react to things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, you know, has been one of the biggest gifts and one of the best, best principles I've ever learned is that, um, you know, I, I get on an airplane and the only thing I can control is myself, mm-hmm. you know, and then for some reason for the last like dozen flights that I've taken, I'm always sat next to somebody that has anxiety about flying. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> maybe you're supposed to be there to provide right? for them and they can feel safe. Yeah. My wife laughs because she's like, yeah, every time. And I'm like, she's like, who'd you sit to next this time? She's like, well, I had some lady that like grabbed my hand when there was a little bit of turbulence and she's holding on to it, a death grip. And I'm like, what are you doing? lady? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, if you even had an idea, I'm like, and I don't tell anybody my, my story about, you know, my, my experience with planes or anything like that while being on an airplane, but I'm just thinking on my mind, like, if you even knew, I mean, I think my guts right. are probably rumbling more than yours are right now, yeah. but you know, I, it, that's one of those things, acceptance, you know, is it, yeah. this is going to happen, you know, every single time I get on the plane, I accept that my, you know, this may be my last time breathing, Yeah. you know, and, and when you start doing that and you start living life and understanding that every single day you wake up, that you have a choice and you have that opportunity that if this is my last day breathing, what do I want to do with it? Mm-hmm. because I truly, I mean, in my experience, I mean, it can happen in, in a flash. Yeah. It truly can. And so, you know, what do I accept today? What do I do today? How do I act and, and take, and what kind of, you know, what kind of um, imprint do I put onto this planet with what I'm doing today? And so mm-hmm. I always have a choice when I wake up of, you know, am I right? Am I not right? And what do I need to do if I'm not right? Mm-hmm. And then go through that day. And when, at the end of the night, when I do uh, an inventory, you know, is did I act according to what I believe is the right footprint that I want to leave for, for this world? You know, is, am, I, am I being that positive effect that um, I truly believe today that I, I need to be that, that yin for the yang? So when I was out there causing so much hate, so much trouble, so much everything, my, my responsibility today is to you know, part of my amends for that stuff is to try to help people today mm-hmm. is to try to be the exact opposite. When there's turmoil, I need to be the calm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and for some reason that, you know, I, I, I've been quoted and people have, you know, told me I'm, I'm the river rock and that mm-hmm. I'm always steady going when there's a, a roaring river around me. I'm always easy going and steady 
with my demeanor and what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I take that as a big compliment because, I mean, truly, we need to have some, some stability. I mean, there's mm-hmm. going to be plenty of turmoil. There's plenty of trauma going on. But what we don't always have is somebody that's reacting to everything, that is going crazy about shit, that is all over the place. We need some stability. And people need some stability knowing that this world is not, like, up in flames right now. So, you know, I think it was about a little bit after that, uh, that trip to see my dad's um, accident and where that happened, probably within that next year, you know, I truly became okay with who I was. And from that point on, I really never had much aggression uh, from that point on. Mm-hmm. I'd accepted that this is, this is what I need to do. Um, and from that point on, I truly haven't, I haven't gotten in a fight. I haven't, you know, any of those things. Um, and I, I, am now one of the people that, you know, I, I want to wake up early. I'm, I'm happy to be alive. I'm happy to try to be that, you know, something positive that's going on out there. And if I can make people smile, man, I love, I love doing that. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, talking about humble and everything else. I mean, I, I, and I, I love doing those things where you do something good for somebody and you don't wait to, or you don't want to get acknowledged about it. I hate getting acknowledged when I do something, something for somebody. Mm-hmm. And that stuff is truly that my ego needs to be taken away from that. It needs to be about that person I'm doing something good for. And I need to stay anonymous. I mean, I don't think there's enough of that out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, there, there needs to just be some love that's being spread out there and it doesn't need to be put on social media. It doesn't need to be done anywhere else. I mean, that, there's just, I mean, some good stuff that just needs to happen. And that's just kind of the thoughts that I have. You know, and we're going around or we're doing whatever. My wife's like, of course, you're thinking about that. Of course, you're going to do that. She just kind mm-hmm. of rolls her eyes and laughs at me. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's like somebody needs help or somebody's going through something. I always want to look at the bright side of it or where can I be of, of assistance or where can I help with somebody? Yeah. I mean, because that truly for me is where I need to be at in, in life right now, mm-hmm. you know. So with both substance abuse and, and mental health, I mean, that's it's huge. It's huge right now. It, it truly is. And it's affecting more people than ever, uh, in, in our, in our world, mental health and substance abuse. And, um, it, it is, you know, it is destroying lives. And, um, you know, I, I think it's something that, uh, you know, that, from my personal experience and everything I've been through is, is kind of what, uh, you know, what I'm kind of been part of now and trying to help out with whatever I can. So, mm-hmm. so, I mean, to kind of to kind of button this up, um, I just want to get a good idea here. I mean, it, I think that there's an amount of experience that we kind of all have to go through, right? You know, to to find the best version of us, you know, our our greatest path, whatever that is. And it seems like yours just came all at once. It, it looks it looks like it just came all at once. And um, so, would you say that that's actually what has define your life and, and kind of giving you through the trajectory. So, because now you're at, you're helping people like directly with this, right. With, with addictions mm-hmm. and, and abuse. You know, I think even, even after getting clean, you know, I think, you know, I did everything wrong still, you know, I mean, I did everything wrong. <clears throat> you know, my best thinking was the worst ideas for everything I did. And, you know, for me, it is always, I am always trying to better myself because I do so many things wrong and I have done so many things wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I do know is if, if I stay clean and not use, 
that gives me a great opportunity to be able to provide some kind of context for somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's nothing good in this world that's going to happen if I pick up and if I drink or if I use, I, I know that for me and for the world as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my responsibility now is to, you know, stay clean. And then when an opportunity arises that I can share my story, um, you know, do whatever I can to help somebody, um, you know, that's truly my responsibility. Now I feel that, uh, that I, I step into that role, accept mm-hmm. that. Um, and you know, directly, indirectly, whatever I can do, um, you know, I, I want to make sure people know that there are solutions out there. There's, you know, no matter what thoughts are going on in there, I mean, those thoughts are not going to kill you, but what you do from those thoughts will, yeah. you know, that, that stuff where you, you know, the suicidal, you know, all the mental health stuff out there, having a man and talk about being suicidal. Um, I mean, it's tough. Mm-hmm. Having a man talk about having depression or having anxiety about going into a store and having a man admit something like that, um, you know, it takes a special type of uh, person to be in touch with themselves to know that they need to talk about it, um, to be able to, to reach out and to say, man, I'm just having a hard time just walking into a damn store today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's not a lot of people that are, you know, the stigma is still out there that men have to bottle that up and they can't do anything and they have to be a man to walk through certain situations and do whatever. And it can't affect you. I mean, you're not supposed to cry. You're not supposed to do X, Y, and Z, but that's not true. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is, that is, uh, that is a domino effect that has caused a huge mental health disruption in our country. So, um, you know, talking about it and getting open about, you know, needing help, um, is not a, you know, it is not a bad thing to do. It is truly what a person with good standards, um, and somebody that has a good character, that's what helps other people is when somebody has good character is able to go, yeah, I have anxiety. Yes. I have depression. I have a hard time getting up in the morning and putting my left shoe on. I mean, it is just a struggle sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being able to say that helps other people. I mean, it truly does. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I think that there's, um, there's a lack of understanding of, you know, what, what it takes to truly be a strong version of ourselves. And the crazy part is like, all these things that you hold in, you know, you don't want to say you're anxious, you don't want to say you're depressed, uh, you don't want to say you're suicidal because they're not getting out, that's why they're there in the first place. They're not being allowed to be out, you know, and they're being amplified the more we suppress them, right? It's, it's that boiling pot, you know, that, that eventually blows us top at some point. And hopefully it's not, you know, to the point that's yep. fatal or, you know, uh, beyond repair. But uh, yeah, dude, it, there's, there's something that is left out of definition, I think. I think uh, defining things like masculinity and, and what quote unquote man is supposed to be is been kind of simplified by society so that we can be directed in the way that benefits them the most, you know, the, the people that want to take advantage of that, mm-hmm. you know, but the problem is, is like you said, it's creating so many mental issues. You know, it's keeping everybody from actually being healthy and then we make bad choices and then we, you know, make harmful actions and, you know, possibly shorten our lifespan, yep. you know? Yep. So 
uh yeah dude i like your your experience in itself is is mind-blowing like the, your strength and resilience is is absolutely mind-blowing um is there anything that you would recommend to people um because you know steve's pretty pretty humble holds himself back doesn't say a whole lot so <laughs> is there like any uh things that work best for you that have helped you through your life, you know, books or people that influence you, um, habits and actions, or like you said, the principles that you had, what helps you be the best version of yourself? What helps you be Steve Lutz? You know, I think, um, you know, that, that's, that's evolved over time. It definitely yeah. has. Um, you know, I, um, at some time I got, um, you know, for, for me, I guess it, it truly comes down to still being curious, still wanting to learn, mm -hmm. still trying to be better. You know, um, not until I accepted that, Hey, I'm always going to have this anxiety about going on airplanes. Am I able to, once I accept that, I know that I can smile and I can go on there and everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I can be productive. I can be whatever it is. And that's the same thing with like, um, you know, with the mental health than everything else. When we, we, we finally get to the point where we accept, we can start moving on and building something that we never thought we would ever be able to build. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, for me, you know, as, as time has gone on, I, I've been and read books on Buddhism. Uh, I've read and um, a lot of team building and, you know, Patrick Lencioni for corporate stuff. But it's amazing how many corporate things go coincide with, um, mental health stuff about being open about having open communication about mm -hmm. you know being honest and calling people out on honesty and how to build teams that way there's so many things that psychology wise um, that coincide with like um, you know corporate leadership books and self-help books it's amazing um, but you know there's it's for me it's always wanting to be um, teachable always wanting to know that today was good but tomorrow I need to do better Mm -hmm. and knowing that when I, I wake up in the morning, I have that, that, that thought that knowing that I need to do better today than I did yesterday, that, um, it's never, you know, it, you know, in the gym or wherever it is in life, you know, today was pretty good, but tomorrow I need to do better. Uh, and that's on whatever the topic is for the day, you know, if it's mm -hmm. now with my inventory from the night before, you know, was I short with somebody on the phone? Was I whatever, always looking to better myself and not being scared to take my own inventory to be able to see where I want to grow mm -hmm. I set my own goals. I mean, that's, uh, that's a big deal is setting our own goals and reaching for that and not being scared to, to call yourself out on the bullshit that you did and knowing that, that I did not do great today. <laughs> and so tomorrow I need to do better, you know, mm -hmm. and, and just letting that be and, and be what it is and not taking it personal but just calling it is what it is. And just knowing that everything we have given to us when we wake up in the morning, I mean, this is a great opportunity. It's a gift. I mean, there is no guarantee that I don't walk out the door tomorrow and I'm gone. Yeah. Um, you know, and I know that like anybody else. Um, and so, you know, having this opportunity to know what today and what I can do today, you know, health wise, family wise, relationship wise, um, you know, with the stranger on the corner with, uh, and being in the gym and working out with uh, professional, any of those things, you know, striving for the best 
um, is, you know, is, is what we need to do. Something new, something different. Always, always. So. Dude, your, your, your mindset is like locked down. It's like steel trap <laughs> standards, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been through this whole thing it's like you just you got to lock down like you you got i mean and i'm sure there's there's you know rough days you know but oh man it seems great yeah no no yeah yeah i i have rough days just like anybody else but you know i mean my rough days now are nothing like what rough days that i've known oh totally you know and when when i can put that in perspective and i have the ability to put that in perspective now Mm -hmm. um every day is a good day right now. I mean, it yeah. really is. I mean, when I, when I can think about that pain that I had in my chest and the, the short breath of my lungs and everything else because of situations I've been in, man, today is great. I mean, mm-hmm. it truly is. I mean, it, I, when I can look back and I know what a bad day is, today's not a bad day. Mm-hmm. It is truly not a bad day. Yeah. Dude. So impressed. <laughs> so before we get out of here, um, I have I have one more question for you. I try to ask this of all their interviewees, um, so I can get a little perspective and give the ability for other people to see those perspectives. And that last question is, what does it to you mean to be rebel minded? So to me, uh, being rebel minded is. Um, not being a sheep to walk your own path, to think your own thoughts, um, to be reflecting on, you know, and always striving to have a better thought, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially right now with all the social media and everything that's going on out there, it's really, really easy to get caught up and follow other tracks of, uh, of thoughts out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now to be able to stand on your own two th- two feet and to either disagree with people or to have your own thought and to know that, eh, you know, I may not agree with everybody and I'm okay with that. Um, I personally think that's, uh, you know, what a rebel mind is. Mm-hmm. Well, you heard it from the man himself. Uh, Steve, Steve knows these things. And I've, you know, I think I've known you personally enough to, to hold you on a pedestal. I know you don't like it. I know you don't like it, but I'm a powerlifter and that's what I do. So, Today, Steve's on the pedestal, and I hope everybody had a, <laughs> had a hell of a time today. Um, I hope everybody can relate to his story. Um, Steve, thank you for joining me on the podcast. It's been fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, so, buddy. I appreciate yeah, it. of course, man. Um, to everybody out there, you know where I stand. You know this is about perspective. It's about learning. It's about growing, emotional literacy, and emotional intelligence. And we're here to make a difference, and we're here to be rebel-minded. This is the Creed Soldier, out. All right, guys, if you're here, then you have some sort of connection or curiosity of what goes on. So from the bottom of my little hamster heart, thank you. Even through a mic, that's what we call connection. And my life always gets better and more clear with all the souls that I get to connect with. If you like what you're hearing, or you want to share your story with me and the podcast, which I would absolutely love, write in. Send me an email or send me a text. You can contact me through IG as Creed Soldier or email me at Zachary at ChaosCreed.com. That's Z-A-C-K-A-R-Y at K-H-A-O-S-K-R-E-E-D.com. And of course, 
If you're up to the challenge and curious about really speeding up your self-development and your potential and getting committed to bettering yourself, send me a notification with Getting Rebel-Minded in the title. Even if all you need is that confidential space to talk, I'm here to give that to you. Share, like, and follow the podcast if it means something to you. Then you'll know when every new episode and interview has been published. I've always got more good things coming. I don't know. I don't know. Just, just, I'm just, you know, I'm just putting my voice out in the world. So it's good. I mean, it it needs to happen. I mean, like, I mean, I'm, I am not the one. And like I've told a lot of people with marketing, it's like, if you don't market yourself, nobody else is going to market for you. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, nobody is going to, nobody's going to do this work for you. You have to do this. And so if you're building a company, if you are building a brand or you building a whatever, you have to, you have to put an ego out there. You have to put this in the situation. You have mm-hmm. to market yourself because nobody else is going to do it. Mm-hmm. That's the difference between personal though and business. Yeah. And so, you know, there is that, there is that difference, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's one of those things. I mean, we need people like you. I mean, people that are going out there and, and talking and, you know, putting a brand out there, putting something that's um, thought provoking, you know, is, um, you know, you just never know who is the right person that's supposed to hear this message. And yeah. so if you don't, if you, if you stop talking, then you never know who, if that person actually heard it or not. Mm-hmm. And so you never stop talking. My addiction, as ridiculous as it seems, my addiction is like movies and TV shows and, yeah. okay. and games. So I had to, I had to just delete as much of it as I could. So um, I had a couple of years without a TV at all, you know, and no, no big fucking deal. <laughs> but, but that was my problem, right? Because mm-hmm. I never had any like major, like I never was into drugs or anything. So I never had anything that was really an addiction. And so yep. I think yep. that addiction is possible for everyone. And that's what mine was, you know, as small mm-hmm. as it was, it just stole a lot of my time. Yep. Um, so I had to swear it off for a long time. So when Game of Thrones came out, I'm not even close. I wasn't even going to touch that shit. I was like, no. And then I moved in with Bryden and like uh, after like a year of watching, he was kind of, um, he was finishing it off, finishing off the series or whatever. Mm-hmm. And obviously we have this, this common space in the living room slash kitchen. And I come out and I, I'd watch a few minutes here and there and it got really intriguing. And I started asking him questions about, oh, what about this? What happened here? And then, you know, I saw the dragons a couple of times and then I was like, man, this show seems super cool. <laughs> and so yeah. like, like the show, was the show climaxed, right? And Bryden was like, dude, you have to watch this. And I was like, no, I'm not, no, fuck it. I'm not going to. And, you know, I think I, I caught a few minutes of the last episode and it kind of rolled, it just rolled in my head in the back, in the last, you know, just the last few months after it was finished. And I was like, you know what? fuck it i'm feeling i'm feeling stressed right now i'm just gonna like ram through this stuff and so i i watched all of the game of thrones i think in like a week and a half yeah you know it was so good it was so good yes. it was so good but i'm uh, I, I was scared that it was gonna set me off you know like okay uh-huh. what's the next go and i've done really good but nice. dude it was really good like i was impressed oh yeah, oh, yeah. i'll never oh, read yeah. the books though it'll fuck it up 
<laughs> it will. You are so right. It will fuck mm. it up. <laughs> God, I mean, I don't even, it's, dude, it's September. <laughs> right? When did it's that September. happen? I, I'm in February. I think it just switched over and said, <laughs> hey, it's September now. Right? Because I don't remember a summer, honestly. <laughs> yeah. a, a fall, a summer, any of it? I, I no. don't know. Huh? No, no, no. Um, I think I remember it getting like kind of warm somewhat and then hot kind of. Right. But it, it's blurry. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Just wait till you get older. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's one of those, those uh, catch or like the hindsight things, right? It's like, mm-hmm. or the, what do you call it? Um, catch 22? I don't know. I don't know what reference I'm looking for here, but it's like, you don't really know until you've gotten to that point. And then there's always yep. somebody ahead of you that says, well, you don't know yet. And you don't know yet. Well, uh-huh. <laughs> but at least now I'm in my thirties. I'm like, talk to guys in their twenties. and be like, you don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just uh-huh. wait. <laughs> just wait. Just wait. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't really hurt yet. Like I have my wrist injury, but I don't, but I have like all these random pops and pulls in my body and they don't hurt, but I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're like, man, am I going to hurt this later? Is this going to be like, just come back to haunt me or what yeah. does this mean? What is the do meaning I, of this? Yeah. It's like, do I quit powerlifting now or just, you know, suck it up and enjoy it?